0: My name is Chris Fair, and welcome to the Ramblin' Jer podcast, Saturday freeze deep dive into a specific Rangers subject. On this episode, we'll look at the possible reasons why there are protests against Stuart Robertson and Ross Wilson. So it's a very kind of up-to-the-minute podcast, this one. It's very relevant. And joining me to go through all this is, first of all, uh, my my fellow executioner, some would say. Dave, Dave, how are you doing?
1: I'm good mate, I'm, I'm here to launch an impassioned defence of these two, I've, I've yeah, changed my tune, I've seen the light.
0: Of course you have, of course you have. It is very much like a, a a panel of judges here and we'll have a, a verdict at the very end of the podcast I'd imagine. Um, another judge that's joining us uh, for this, um, who will see both good and bad I'd imagine, and that's Kenny. So Kenny, you could have the deciding vote on this. Excellent, that sounds good, good I to be think- on mate, thanks. And, of course, we need we need balance to proceedings. We can't just have a complete anti-rant against uh, Messrs Robertson and Wilson. So we've got the, the cookiest of all cooks. Um, Producer Andrew, how are you doing?
2: You ready to staunchly defend Mr Robertson and Wilson? I think if anyone's ever listened to me on any previous podcast, they'll know that I am not exactly a proud defender of these two yahoos. Um, but thanks for that glowing introduction, Chris. Um, I certainly won't use any clips that you might have had previously praising these two no. in the past, no. liberally throughout this uh, podcast. So ah, that'd be fine, no. man. You wouldn't do that to me. You wouldn't do that to of me. Of course not, Chris. What, would I do something like that? Surely not. I
0: think the first thing I should say before we go into any points here is this is a uh... An interpretation of the facts. So I'm not saying that everything we're saying here is completely 100% factual. It's how we perceive it to be. So there may be listeners who disagree with some of the interpretations of certain events or certain things that have happened within Rangers under the remit of Robertson and Wilson. But there certainly won't be any lies. It's just our interpretation. If we get it wrong, we get it wrong. But I wouldn't say that we're coming out here with just complete and utter lies. The problem is, um, as it has been for quite a while, we don't know and we will never know the 100% truth. And that is because Rangers will not talk to the public. They will present John Bennett to come out with sound bites, And he actually said, and one of the things that he criticised was communication. And since that interview, the communication is as is is, it's is been as bad as I can ever remember. Um, the, the silence from Rangers uh, has been pretty deafening, um, and it almost feels a bit weird to be doing a podcast like this when on such I don't want to say such good form because we're still obviously nine points behind. But I think this really heightened with the the cup final defeat against Celtic, where it was yet another trophy we failed to win, and obviously we're looking down the barrel of another league um trophy that we're not going to win um and i think the tagline really is enough is enough we we want to have a successful rangers team now and there should be no excuses as to why we shouldn't have that successful rangers team so as, as as i said at the start it's a very relevant podcast and again i'll repeat it's our interpretation of what we feel are the facts or or we feel is accurate i should say because as i said facts how can you get facts out there? A body that doesn't want to tell you them um and it's it's left to the rangers fans to interpret that so with that being said i think there's going to be a lot spoken about in regards to ross wilson um so i think we should start with stuart robertson first um and dave of course i welcome to you has his uh i think misdemeanor maybe a kind of a light word to use there should be maybe a more heavier description here but his his list of well, we say crimes, Dave. Was that is that a good word to use? Feelings. Yeah, there we go. Feelings. That's just below crimes, but just above <laughs> <to> me, So <laughs> I mean, this is a show trial, but let's just keep it moderate for the most part. Look, I'm just going to go through some things that I've picked out here with Stuart Robertson. I said offline to you guys. I feel that I'm missing some things out. Um, if anything comes to mind, bring it bring it to the attention, um, listeners. I mean, feel free to messages about things that were missed out. Um, even good things because we have to try and be balanced here. Uh, but obviously, I'm just going to go in right away with some things that, that, I've, that I've seen that Stuart Robertson has um, failed us on. You look at symbolic customer service, uh, the the whole situation regarding tickets as well, um, understaffed. And you've obviously got that website, um, which we have been told will be improved in the summer. We're just off the back of the semi-final tickets being released. And again, it was just another absolute shit show. We will remember the Malmo game last season in the Champions League qualifiers. And for anyone who's forgotten about that, it's basically literally almost 10,000 fans, I think it was, were locked out of the stadium because there was a failing with the ticket. Um... The, tick- the ticket scanning system and that wasn't addressed um, in a timely manner and that was obviously on Robertson and he came out and admitted that you've got Robertson signing off in the Sydney friendly. Uh, obviously James Bisgrove came to him with that proposition but Stuart Robertson's job is to sign that off. He signed off in several unregulated crypto um, let's just say cons because that's exactly what they are. Uh, he's played a part in fixing prices of shots, ripping off Rangers fans, where Rangers were obviously fined for that because obviously they were deemed to be fixing the prices of the Rangers replica tops uh, in order to gain an unfair advantage. He refused to entertain a beanbag for the Europa League final for fans staying at home, saying that we couldn't do that because all the staff were uh, essentially going over to, to Seville for the game despite the fact that there was limited tickets for the fans. um, And I believe we were the only club um, in Europe who didn't do a beanbag that were playing in a European final. He's uninterested in open dialogue for safe standing. um, And he, as I quote, said on Alfredo Morelos, Rangers would only ever accept Dembele money from Alfredo Morelos. And Alfredo Morelos is now posed to leave for free this summer. So, Dave, there's quite a lot there. So... um, Let's just... We'll break it down here to Customer Service, and the Sydney Friendly and the Crypto um, sign-offs. So you can comment on them and then we'll move to the other subjects with the other guys.
1: Quite a lot to get, to get through there. For me, in the round, Stuart Robertson <clears throat> and his background are not of a sufficiently high calibre to lead what should be an elite sporting organisation in the modern era. By which I mean... It still feels very low-rent. Every turn, it seems to be that Celtic have got the edge on this guy. Every time we've tried to push for reform in any defence, the Sky deal, League Reconstruction, all the rest of it, there have been attempts made by Rangers to broach these subjects. And for the wider good of Scottish football, they've all been shouted down by one club. And I think that's because we lack the boardroom heft at Ibrox to be taken seriously or to work the politics of Scottish football. And for me, that's where his main failing is. The the inability to work through the political landscape of Scottish football and get clubs on side. You and I tweeted each other last night on the subject of Scottish footballers. Oh, they won't sell them to us for that. That's a failing in the boardroom. And he has to carry the can. If we can not negotiate with other clubs for, in our own league for players, which is the bread and butter of any championship challenge inside domestic footballers, we're in trouble. And we need a skilled operator we can manoeuvre through that landscape and push these ideas forward and lead the club in the modern era. You mentioned customer service, and again, it's just been one failure after another. The the customer service arm of the business still feels banter, years esque. People, I haven't even tried to buy my semi final ticket yet because I can't be bothered. At I, 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 I Hamden, I just sit storm where I want anyway. So I'm not going to jump on to get a better seat when I'm just going to go and stand in the optimal viewing position. <clears throat> but people can buy a ticket through the website overall the clubs get two principal products right it's got the football on the park that sells tickets and strips and we we pay for that and we invest in the club in that and it's got players that it sells to other clubs for money so those are two income streams robertson's in charge of one wilson's in charge of the other we can't even sell ourselves tickets the kit deal has largely sorted itself out but was a fraggle at the start they won't enter into any discussions with fans in any meaningful sense i've personally taken ideas forward to staff at the club you'll know who i'm talking about but i'll name them in various ways and some of your ideas just get kind of openly laughed at like like no we'll do that ideas to improve just fall on deaf ears so fans are now sick of the fact that there's no dialogue and there's no back and forth with the club and what they and what I certainly perceive as weak leadership and you never even touched on some of the other initiatives like the whiskey bar and the Broomland stand, gone nowhere. The memorial wall, gone nowhere. We get sued for that. The, there's other initiatives around that. The champions walls have finished. Inside Ibrooks never appeared. Five, inside 55, sorry. So they came up with these initiatives and they're not pursued, which has just led to an overall lack of trust in this sport. And that's to say nothing of the, the extremer litigations that we've been involved in. Now, you can point some of the finger of blame elsewhere on that to maybe some decisions that were made in Dave King's watch and maybe that were made bills at the club. But ultimately, by a kind of best case estimate, we've spent somewhere in the region of £7 million on legal fees and uh, compensation to other businesses in the last five to seven years. That's a Ryan Kent or superior level player. All these things just add up to. Where are we going? We need better leadership in that seat. What was the other thing you asked me, customer service, what was to? Uh, Sydney and the
0: unregulated uh, crypto <laughs> sponsorship deals.
1: Again, Sydney tone deaf, same as the, the Europa League final, I'll never forget seeing his interview there. And it was during, it was during the kind of peak time when I was trying to sort out the tickets, my pal was sort of tickets, we're phoning and offering each other flights and digs if we didn't get tickets and trying to sort out who was going. And I knew that some of my best mates had been through thick, thin with Rangers. We weren't going to get to go. And some of these did get to go. And then I turned on Rangers TV and he said, "Um, what do you mean, I've been back? We're all gone, basically, was his words. And it was the look in his face as if, I've been back, we'll all be there. And I could have punched the telly because guys and not even my mates, but their family, one of my best mates' mums, Rangers through and through, she's getting on a wee bit in years, never going to make it to Seville, But I've been back, would have been perfect. So that whole core of fans that could they travel for whatever reason, it was short notes remember, underserviced in such a tone-deaf manner was beyond the pale for me. The crypto thing was a fad that was jumped on. My only hope is that too many Rangers fans will really not stung with that, but again, it was something that's gone into a way poor forethought for me, so on him. It's just the weakness of the leadership from pretty much the start that's holding us back. We shouldn't be looking to other boardrooms in the UK. We should be aiming to break the mould and be like an NFL club. Be bold, be brave, be best in class. And we're never going to get that with a guy who was Motherwell's accountant at the helm. The
0: the one thing about the crypto that I've never fully understood uh, in defence of Robertson is people will tell you, you no know, Rangers fan has been conned by that uh, by those crypto commercial deals um, as if that makes it okay because it's not Rangers fans that have been conned when you actually look at the amount of people in the UK that have actually been conned and further afield especially in America where these companies who who we are signing deals with are actually based and there's one in particular entrepreneur um, quotation marks there by the way who ripped off to the tune of something like three four billion uh, quid off punters through crypto and he's now going to be in trial next year and that's the industry that we were aligning ourselves with um it was i i, I don't understand the argument uh, about rangers fans were not you know rangers fans weren't ripped off the, the potential for rangers fans were ripped off there because they certainly were trying to punt crypto to rangers fans i think rangers fans just had their head screwed on a wee bit um and then you obviously get the you know, at least we get good money for it. I think one of the arguments is we get more money for having Sporty Mongol on the back of a top than we did for uh, 32 Red. Um, well, that tells its own story about the commercial deal with 32 Red. And secondly, we had sport, Sporty Mongol on our 55 Championship winning top, and then we had it on this season's top, and then this season's top was out of date before it even went on the sale because Sporty Mongol folded, and Rangers fans had to essentially get a cover-up. Of a dead company and make your own jokes there, obviously, but it, it was just, just amateur. Level. We were getting last this, uh, this season riding a wave of a cast Europa League finalists, but actually potential Europa League winners When the when the orange top was released, with Sporting him on going the back, and and they they had obviously folded by the time that was released. But it was a quick. Cash grab, um, just just damage it all. Kenny, I'm going to come to you. Obviously, uh, Dave said there about it, it's very difficult for Rangers fans to purchase tickets for big games like the Celtic game in the semi final, and obviously the the cup final as well. It was very difficult to purchase the tickets there. Um, you do eventually get there if you kind of. Uh, you know, park three hours of your day just to sit and wait in a queue. But the one thing that's very easy to buy when you're a Rangers fan is four strips a season and a commissioned 7-1 portrait of Liverpool beating us at Ibrox. <laughs> um, and you've got that portrait of that game uh, because the fans looked nice before the kickoff. off um, Dave mentioned their tone-deaf. It is exactly that. It's tone-deaf. I have just gave you the 7-1 portrait, I've gave you the four straps a season consistently every season. I'll fling into that the fixing of price, uh, fixing of prices for shirts, ripping off Rangers fans. Now I know Robertson didn't have exactly um overall say on that, but he did have a say and you know he his job at Rangers is to look out for the best interest of the club and his fans and protect the best interest of the clubs and its fans and he failed to do that there.
3: Well, yeah, but listen, Dave's made a great point about him being Motherwell's accountant. Listen, at the end of the day, Leanne Dempster, Dempster was his boss at Motherwell, and she's at Queen's Park, in the championship, doing a very fine job. Um, listen, Stuart Robertson's one of these guys that you look at and you... I, I don't know if it's just me. He's never filled me with any kind of confidence at all when I listen to him. He, he, he's almost like a shy type of guy. Um and the, the, the issue I have with him, actually, more than anything else, is that he genuinely doesn't seem to get it at all it, it, when it comes to just about anything. Things like that, that the portrait you're talking about, somebody's signing off on that. It, the, the ultimate uh, responsibility lies with him. Who thinks that's a good idea, <laughs> to, to, put, to put a portrait out of a 7-1 doing? One of the most humiliating nights, you know, of my life as a Rangers fan, was sitting watching that. It was embarrassing. It was humiliating. Um, But the issue I have, again, with with Robertson is that he's been there for eight years. um, And in the main, you could look at it and say, yeah, the finances have increased year on year. and You've got to take a proper look at what he's doing uh, on a day-to-day basis. And when you sit there and you analyse what he's doing, Without being rude, I think any half-decent managing director could do this job. Anybody that can run a business can do can do what he's doing. We need, exactly as Dave had said there, we need somebody that is prepared to be brave, to be prepared to be a leader, actually, you know, turn around and look at, you know, come back to the Sydney Cup, looking at that and saying, to everybody concerned who brings it to him, are you off your head? Because that's what we need, is leadership at that level. We uh, we can go back again two years, two and a half years, whatever it is now, to the whole uh, charade that was there uh, nine in a row and the, the Dundee uh, spam email and how we try to defend ourselves. And we get nowhere. And as Dave yet again had said before, politically, this guy is a lame duck. For us, we need somebody that is going to take our club and Scottish football by the scruff of the neck, by the scruff of the neck, I beg your pardon, and actually force through the issues that that are required. Look at the TV deal. Stuart Robertson comes out and he moans about it, but nothing happens. He's not got any clout whatsoever within Scottish football. And that, for me, regardless to the supposed day-to-day job that he does, and the year-on-year increase in uh, the turnover, if you like. We have no clout as a football club. Glasgow Rangers, the biggest club in the country, has no clout politically. And that primarily is down to him, Chris.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, there is a there is a discussion there about um, what you said there about the biggest football club in the country. I do agree that we are still currently, but that gap in terms of how big we are is closing to the point where we're almost being overtaken. And, you know, how do you measure who's the biggest club in the country? Do you measure it by your fan base? Do you measure it by finances? Do you measure it by success and honours? I would probably say success and honours is... It it's, right?
3: it's everything, Chris. It's all uh, yeah. of it. Of
0: course it is. But success and honours is, is your is your starting point, your foundation, if you will. And that foundation is is crumbling by the season, they, across the road for us, are closing in on our hall, our trophy hall, and it's on the watch of Robertson, Wilson, and I would actually then start to bring in the, the, the more kind of executive board there, but um, that's the overall picture, but the, the executive board in terms of um, the, the investors, Bennett and the Parks, they've entrusted these two guys to make sure that we remain the biggest club in the country and we're regressing and that's that's the that's the worry you know um andrew one thing that kenny and, and dave did touch upon is political clout um and defending rangers fans and being a leader one of your jobs and and, and with those uh, responsibilities is to set a certain narrative and i've got two narratives here now, obviously, people might think listening to us who, who are more sympathetic to Stuart Robertson, they might actually think we have a narrative, but I'm I'm presenting what has actually happened. And when you look at the narrative set by Stuart Robertson in terms of selling Morelos, yeah, it was a good two or three years ago. Um, people can say it might have been off the cuff. But if you're a managing director, you protect yourself out, away from having silly, outlandish claims and his claim at the time was he wanted to sell Alfredo Morelos for Dembele money now Musa Dembele left Celtic for 20 million to Lyon that was a very high bar to set when Rangers record sale was still at the time Alan Hutton a decade prior for 9 million so he straight away puts himself on an unnecessary pedestal which I don't know why and the second narrative that he set was we we all believed as a fan base or the vast majority is believed as a fan base that the Holy Grail the, the golden honeypot was Champions League football. We achieved that under Geo, and we were all expecting at least one player to come in after that. The window slammed shut. We get beat 4-0 off Celtic and Stuart Robertson three, four days after that defeat against Celtic. After we exited the, the, the summer transfer window with no new additions, after qualifying for the Champions League, Stuart Robertson came out with a very peculiar interview. Pinpointing that the Champions League money isn't actually what you think it is. It's actually considerably less. And in actual fact, there's not a lot of money to be made there for Rangers. And we, it was almost like, just it doesn't mean that we now have money in the bank because we have Champions League money. He then said, I don't know where this impression is that we have this. Uh, we're sitting on this pile of cash and this is after the fact of a Europa League final, Champions League qualification, the sale of Calvin Bassey, and the sale of Joe Ribo. And if you want to go even further back six months, even before that, the sale of Nathan Patterson. Three record sales, a European final in Champions League football, generating vast amount of money. And the managing directors come out saying, well, calm down, there's no, there's no money here. Is that a leader, Andrew? Or is that a guy who's trying to justify poor decisions?
2: So I think it's particularly relevant to look at uh, Robertson's background in that he's been an accountant pretty much everywhere he's been. That's what he did when he got out of school. Um, So his his idea, first and foremost, is to be looking after the money. But as an accountant, his idea of looking after the money is not great. We've got a big pot of money. Let's go and spend it. It's oh, excellent, we can start paying down our deficit. Rangers have run out of deficit pretty much since, well, since 2012, effectively. I don't know if early on in the banter years we managed to turn a profit at some point, but at, at that stage, who cares, right? It, it's not particularly relevant. The, the main issue that you have is that when you start over promising and then under delivering as well, then you're making a rod for your own back. So claiming that we'll get Um belly money for Morelos for instance. That's a rod for your own back. You can't guarantee that. Andrew, can I just very quickly as well, because you've just you've just
0: on on a rod for your own back. Um I'm gonna present this to you and you can then carry on. He also said Mm -hmm. the day that we secured fifty five, where Celtic drew nothing each with Dundee United, um the the released several interviews with individuals within Rangers and Robertson was one of them. And Robertson Sto- mm. said that this was only the beginning. We were now going to build on our
2: success. So, yeah, again, you're setting a narrative for yourself, right? And I think you could argue that the Morella situation, that has been influenced by the performance of the player. It was certainly influenced by the manager. I think under Gerard in his, the lead up to his final season, the squad probably could have used a refresh at that point. But instead, we kept all the players and then looked to try and sign additional players. I think looking back on that, maybe it's too close to the moment, but you could probably say that at that point, should we have refreshed some of the players? Should we have moved out Morales at that point? You probably could have argued yes, but... You have to have faith in the director of football that he will replace him with someone of equivalent quality or someone who has potential to grow to either equivalent quality or better quality because that's you know the the kind of way that the model is meant to work so if you don't do that if you allow yourself to be influenced by the manager if you fail to act with enough courage to say that this might be a risky thing to do selling players at the height, like just after they've been the most successful and the majority of them have been in their careers, that that's a bold thing to do. And you have to be a strong managing director to actually do that. Stuart Robertson has failed to do that. And what's worse is he has made promises about what he will do as well. So I think the, the Rod for your own back thing is exactly where I am on this because you are in a fucking difficult position in this job. Like it, it is never going to be possible to please 100% of the people 100% of the time, because you exist as a Rangers fan, Chris. <laughs> um, uh, like the, the point is that the Rangers fan base are of course difficult to please. We expect success. We want success in all things around our football club. You know, even when we were winning trebles under Walter or people still complaining about the state of the toilets. So there is always going to be something that we can do to be improving the club. The problem is that all of that primarily has to flow from we are successful on the pitch at all times. And if we aren't achieving that, and what's worse, if it looks like we are setting ourselves up for failure because of decisions being made off the pitch, then we just set ourselves up for trouble. You get yourself in trouble with the fan base because football's not like it was. Back in the 80s and 90s, fans are far more educated about what happens in terms of behind the scenes dealing because we all own a copy of Football Manager. So everyone knows, or at least they think they know, what goes into it. And if you don't set the correct narrative by explaining to the fans in advance of getting through to the Champions League, hey, because of our qualification position, this is what that's actually going to look like. If you allow a vacuum to go out that says... We're going to win 20 million quid if we qualify, if we win this football match. If you allow that to you know, proliferate out in the world and you don't set out a counter-narrative or set your own proper narrative, you are going to just get yourself into trouble. And that's the biggest failing for me um, from Stuart Robertson's point of view, is that he has allowed either his own poorly thought-out narratives or worse, he has allowed counter-narratives set by the media... It's not like Rangers have got their <laughs> endless list of friends out there in the wide world of Scottish football to chase down. So he's allowed that narrative to be set by people outside of the club who don't care about us. And in fact, we'll be quite happy if they didn't have to have to see us again. So if, if he's not prepared to be bold in terms of certain out those narratives, in terms of saying we're Rangers, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. And to have that be believable and to deliver on those promises as well. If he can't do that, then he's in the wrong job.
1: I'm sure he's a fine accountant.
0: Dave, you want to come back in there a bit? See, see
1: for me, on the narrative point, right, this is something else that I think goes unheeded by the majority of fans, and it's another fucking feather in the cap of these two dolts, mainly because the person who was probably responsible is now gone. There is a narrative setting tendency at Ibrooks, but it's. I agree with Andrew, the way the narrative sets in terms of the wider context is poor. Where we do use our quote-unquote media friends in the loosest possible term the only people we use it against, or the only people the club use against is us, the fans if you contrast it with Celtic's approach to manipulating narratives around refereeing decisions around certain specific decisions, certain specific incidents that are picked apart on the country's top football radio and tv shows only ever seems to be us who are the victims there are a, we all know who we're talking about here individuals who set the narrative quite happily for what celtic want and i'm talking even about like when it looked like we were closing them down on the pitch at eight nine ten in a row strict liability for singing came into play very deliberate ploy to raise the spectrum of a points deduction should we get too close celtic are really good at that side of it and manipulating the media the snp's various attacks on us around sectarianism and so on right we, we know these incidents and i don't want to label the point the only people we use against ourselves in the last six weeks because they have fucked up mirelos's contract situation you can find any number of ex nine in a row 2000 era renter gubs who are prepared to trash your best striker who as i said on the pod i feel that we have let down albeit he's far from blameless and he's getting trashed and all i hear and read as I get rid of him, he's hopeless. He's getting rid of him. And as I've said, letting a guy who was worth maybe not in belly money, but certainly in that um, sort of seven, eight-figure ballpark, go for nothing, and the the club are using a media placement to trash and diminish him and talk him down. And that's just one example. Again, the the civil thing, the, the whole way they use the media is to treat us like fucking idiots. And I, I'm particularly sick of this. We don't do it to Defend the club's wider interests or make an impact on society generally. The good that we do do is generally only communicated in house, the Everyone Anyone campaigns and the various charity initiatives. But as soon as it comes to shaping the opinion of Rangers fans in a way that suits them about something they have either done or not done, i.e., the Manelos contract, they're quickly on it and the 2000s crew cash in their, their cheques for comments. Again, the most recent example is I. Yeah, well, Rangers will be better without Manolis. Oh, is that right? We can afford to let thirteen million pound walk. No bother, Chris. No bother, Craig. No bother, Barry. Kenny,
3: anything you want to add, though? Yep. Uh, the one thing I will say that yeah, I, I, again, I tend I, I to agree with both Andrew and Dave there actually in, in terms of Stuart Robertson. But what I will say about that is that the silence up there is deafening. The last time anybody spoke uh, at that level at Rangers was in September. That's unacceptable We have seen our title hopes crash and burn We've lost a League Cup final uh, We've got two players worth Say 18 months ago, two years ago Perhaps 25 to 35 million quid uh, And nobody said a word And this season is petering out To, the, to uh, a one game showdown To stop them from winning a treble And they're still carrying on Talking about, and with all respect, I don't want to sound, uh, but they're talking about the B teams. Or, you know, on online I'm talking about, not the, this board. Uh, they're talking about the women's team. They're talking about anything and everything but what actually matters, which is the first team. Um, the silence is deafening up there and it, it's began to actually really irritate me. And again, yet again, the buck stops with Robertson here. It doesn't stop with anybody else. He's the one that's running the place. He's the one that has to come out. Uh and as I say, anytime he speaks, he I he, he fills me with no confidence whatsoever. Uh I just think he comes across uh as quite a weak uh leader, if you know what I mean. Uh so I tend to agree with all three of you. Uh, and I'm trying to be fair when when I'm analyzing what you guys are saying, but I tend to agree with all three of you and everything you've said, pretty much.
1: If we want to get personal on him, which I don't really think we do, right, but I remember seeing him for the first time and I think it was the Loving Cup. And now, to be the Rangers Chief Executive, manager, Director, whatever, you need to have a better presence. And he just, he, he had none. He, he, his public speaking skills were non-existent. Whenever we've unveiled a manager, they're non-existent. As you say, I'd, people going on about the captain thing, right, and everybody wants that leader of men. The phrase, oh, you would want him in the trenches, exists for a reason. We all respect... People for leadership skills. It's just a truism in life, even though some people don't recognise it. He is not a guy, as you say, Kenny, that fills me with any degree of faith, confidence, loyalty that he would lead men in any situation. And we just cannot have something like that at our club. It's just not a tradition that's been set at Ibrooks. It's we, we're built on men who are quite the opposite. And for as much as any other reason, might be brought out behind the scenes. Say, Andrew says he's probably a great accountant, but he's not. A leader in organization and that's in very very stark contrast to his counterpart across the city.
3: Totally agree and I would like to say what exactly what you were saying about throwing the supporters to the wolves to a certain degree. Um I, he, I throws
1: want... it to the, he throws it to the idiots. Uh, exactly lets the uh, idiots talk. And I, I, or, or I want to do. see I want to
3: see the club defend uh everything rangers in a much much better uh platform that they've managed to achieve over the last eight years. They, they, they just fail to do it time and time again uh, on every level. As I say, from dodgy email spams to uh, TV deals to everything. They, they, they can't defend the football club. They can't get their point across. And that is a major, major failing for a here's, club the size it, of us.
1: Yep, here's another example of how it goes down across the city. You know, I work in an industry that involves... St- Search engine online results and things like that, right? So every time there's a negative news story about Rangers, it's Rangers fan, Rangers this, Rangers that. They'll say the city's football fan and it's man does thing in place is, is generally the headline and it's become a bit of cliche and a joke. They never get mentioned. That's a very deliberate PR policy from them across the city to keep their name out of search engine results when associated with anything negative. So you can't find examples of Celtic fans committing crimes. You can't find examples of Celtic fans breaching hate crime legislation or or getting indulged in the because the white as you've just pointed out the club don't defend the name of Rangers so the narrative Rangers bad has been allowed to proliferate because the club seem absolutely clueless and powerless as to how to actually shape the wider narrative and and that's to me very powerful the, the perception of the public and the perception of your fans and it leads to us getting treated to a different standard, in my view.
0: If we're going to stay with current affairs, and, and to be honest, I, we've spoke a lot about Robertson, more than I, I actually anticipated, because we have still actually got worse at the company, but I'll kind of wind it up with this. Obviously, the, the current affairs, politically, within Scotland, um, we've just had a new First Minister, um, Hamza Youssef, and when Rangers won 55, he was one of the voices, All oh, the big bad Rangers fans are breaching covid protocols and they're doing this and they're doing that and they've wrecked George Square. Rangers Need to Do More was Nicola Sturgeon's line. Um, and then Humza, a self-confessed Celtic fan, nothing wrong with that. But when you're going to drive your agendas to the to the team you support, there is something wrong with that. And the Rangers players, not fans, the Rangers players were singing and dancing in one of the function rooms and someone on TikTok with no followers dubbed over um, sectarian slurs uh, to to one of the songs that was apparently being sung I, I, and by the way a, a shite dub job it was it really was terrible um, and Hamza Yusuf tweeted that out saying that if this is true uh, then he expects Rangers to sack these players he tagged Police Scotland in, um, and he's now the First Minister and that tweet is still there, it's not been deleted and, Hey Chris, um, what was the name of that TikTok account? that shared that video? I thought, right, aye, it's it's Wally Wanker. The, the, name, <laughs> the name, yeah, our first minister was duped by a TikTok account with no followers called Wally Wanker and he was frothing at the mouth at the prospect of Rangers players being sectarian and bearing in mind, one of the players that actually featured in this video, sorry, two of the players that featured in this video was Glenn Kamara and Joe Aribo, who are both Catholic uh, and it was just the most ridiculous accusation to ever be levelled at any um, at anything regarding Rangers. And the point being here is eight or nine months prior to Hamza Yusuf coming out with that lie, which I will repeat is still on his Twitter timeline and has not been deleted and he is now our First Minister. Eight or nine months prior to that lie, Hamza Yusuf was at Ibrox shaking hands with Stuart Robertson. Hamza Yusuf would not have done that to Peter Lawwell because Peter Lowell, he would have pulled his strings. He would have shown him, do not fuck with me or this football club. But Hamza Yusuf felt comfortable enough to kick us in our moment of glory. And I'll be honest with you guys, I know this might be a PR thing more than a Stuart Robertson thing, but I think it still falls at the feet of Stuart Robertson. If Stuart Robertson is the one to defend the players, he's not going to defend those clubs And that still rankles with me to this day. It really... He well, does the fact that's still live, Dave. The fact that's still on yep. his Twitter account, he doesn't care, he knows he'll get away with it because, Randall... as you
1: say, yeah. Lawwell would the him over the coast of that. And the same thing did happen because there was a doctored video of the Union Bears marching, and again, another sectarian song o- overdubbed. And Yusuf again commented on that, and it, it led to a tweet by him describing it as a dark day for Catholics in Scotland. Another clearly dubbed video, and again, the people in the video. Bear no connection to, a, a bear no sort of connection with Rangers or connection to the wider fan base. But again, he felt comfortable. That's a very good way of putting it. To tarnish the entire fan base because he knows there is no going to be any defence emanating from it. And indeed, he will be welcomed into the club and made to feel part of the club's admittedly admirable initiatives. The uh, I,
0: think it's I, want to, I want to clarify that, the initiative, I have absolutely no issue with the initiative. The issue I have is bringing somebody yep. like the Yusuf and Exactly.
3: Think, do, you know, do you know something? Yep. The only time I can remember anybody up there during this last eight years that they've all been in situ was when Graham Spears... Um, told lies about Douglas Park and Douglas Park took his <laughs> uh, took took his advertising out of the Herald Group and they sacked him so the clout is there, this is my issue with it, you know and I really do have a, a, proper, a proper problem with, with a guy like Stuart Robertson not getting uh, Douglas Park on side and saying we have to do something about this mm-hmm. and that's the issue for me to be honest
0: you're you right, Kenny. I mean, um, I'm not asking anybody to elaborate on this. I, I'll put this as a final uh, kind of point before we move on to Ross Ross Wilson because it is we have kind of uh, over overstepped. The time on Stuart Robertson when we've still got the main event to come. So um, you're you're absolutely right, Kenny. These guys are only robust in their defence when it comes to personal attacks on themselves. And I raise you Douglas Park and Cinch I was never at the papers. Douglas Park defending his agreement with Rangers but when it comes to Rangers fans or Rangers players because it was the players that were being accused of being sectarian um, despite the fact that they were Catholics themselves uh, just mind-boggling um, self-interest bullshit and it's about time that we have somebody that spoke up for us and that starts with Robertson um, and and that's that's all I've got to say on that because we really do need to move on because this is going to end up like a four-hour pod if we don't <laughs> uh, because I think what we're doing here is we're just making each other even more and more angry and we're remembering more and more things. <laughs> so. Aye, I was going to say that's a two-part list. made that's a four-part series. Right. Ross Wilson, Andrew, come to you first. What I'll do is I'll know I'll list out his stuff. I'll I'll do it one by one and come each. Maybe that'll quicken things up a wee bit. Ross Wilson, the first thing you've got to say with Ross Wilson is Rangers have a bloated wage bill in which we're getting nowhere near the return for the amount we are paying. Um, last view, I don't think it's I don't think it's it rings true now. I think Celtic are spending just slightly more than it is now, especially with the investment in the squad. But certainly at the end of the 55 season, getting into the new season, Rangers had a wage bill that was actually higher than Celtic's. Um, and that was one trophy and we'll call it four years. One trophy in four years with that current squad. We then finished last season with another trophy. So two trophies in five years, we'll say. One Scottish Cup and one Scottish Premiership. Is that value for money? no.
2: um i mean yeah it's not like a, a difficult question right and what what you could probably argue is that if all our players are fit then maybe it is value for money because if all our players are fit we had well probably we still have close to near enough a full first team 11 out injured at the moment so that's part of the dereliction of duty right there signing players who are made of biscuits and or being responsible for the medical staff who look after that squad as well. So we are not getting value for money, clearly, because our bench depth at the moment is laughable. We have probably a decent, strong first eleven now. Um, Clearly, it's uh, doing exactly the same thing as Celtic are in the league right now. Um, And it's, quite frankly, been an improvement um, of the uh, team's performance prior to, um, you know, Beal coming in so he, he like the, the squad itself has potential and is strong but is it value for money absolutely not we we do not need to look far to see what value for money does look like so yeah
0: on on the on the, the uh, topic of squad value Kenny our scored value is regressing by the day because as each day gets ticked off the calendar Ryan Kent and Alfredo Morelos' his worth to Rangers becomes less and less because they are on the brink of leaving for free. Now, they might sign new contracts. Fine, cool, we don't know. But we, we can't predict the future. But as it stands right now, and Ross Wilson commented two years ago, two two years ago, he commented this, we are generally very, very comfortable with our contract situation at the moment. So he said two years to, to tie these two guys down or sell them. Um, that's not harmed. It's As I said, it's plummeting, plummeting, on a a daily basis now because of our symbolic approach to player contract management. And then I also will raise this in with you, Kenny. Last season, during a title race where it was game on in January last season, it was neck and neck between Rangers and Celtic, we signed four players free in the last couple of days of the transfer window, one of which was was Aaron Ramsey, Um, reportedly around £3 million, all told the full package when you include loan fee and wages. And none of those players remain at Rangers today. They're all gone. So Kenny, what, what do you think of that? Uh, the,
3: the regression of the value of the squad um, is embarrassing. Actually, that it, the the my, I've said this before that that man needs chased out the football club. But I remember distinctly having a conversation with a number of different people about that comment that he said at that AGM, where he he was very comfortable. He was the only one in Glasgow of a blue <laughs> persuasion that, that was comfortable with watching this happen. It was the same with Conor Golson. Um, it's ridiculous. Uh, it's not just Kent and Morellis. There's guys like Glenn Camara, there's guys like Borna Barisic, uh, and there's been others over the last few years that we've had good offers for and we won't take them. And you've got to ask yourself why every successful football club everywhere builds a squad and everybody's dispensable. There is no player anywhere in any football club that isn't for sale. None. It's it's that simple. And we sit here and we, year on year, uh, for, what, five years basically now, uh, keep watching the same team. It, it's quite an incredible situation where, with all respect to this squad of players, because they're a decent squad of players... There's a number of them that, without being too rude or blunt about it, are perennial failures. That they just keep failing time and time again. We lose cup finals. We stutter in January when the, the heat gets on. Uh, and this this squad should have been broken up two years ago, particularly when uh, we were doing incredibly well against uh, very decent European opposition clubs like. Benfica and Porto and final And we were catching the eye. These players were catching the eye all over the continent. We should have been building at that point and renewing and keeping the squad age down. Now we're sitting here, uh, what is it? It's We're hitting April now, just about to hit April. And how anybody can possibly look and say, less than two years ago, we won the league and th- now we need a total rebuild that's an incredible situation to find yourself in. Uh, for a club, as I said uh one of the last pods I was on, uh, for a club that's turning over the best part of £100 million a year, that's an incredible situation to find yourself in. Uh, and the buck, yet again, stops with only one man, and that is Ross Wilson. Um, he has a budget. He's blinkered perhaps with some things. He's maybe hands tied behind his back with others. I don't know. But it was plain for everybody to see, I thought, after uh, we come back from 55, that that squad looked tired, it looked uh, laboured, uh, you know, just slower and not, uh, they, they peaked, everything peaked for 55 and it needed renewed there and then. And that's the reason why Steven Gerrard left, he doesn't feel he was back, Gio said it uh a week or so after he was left, the, the the circumstances in which he was working under were incredibly difficult. And Michael Beale has already turned around and said, uh, in January, expect three or four players in next week, and we get two, three weeks later. That's asking, <laughs> uh-huh. That's the situation that we find ourselves in with this guy on a constant basis. Um, if he genuinely believes uh, that this football squad, this this... Squad uh, is strong enough. Then I, I'm, I'm just flabbergasted, but I'm, I'm genuinely stunned because oh, I, no, I, <laughs> I I just thought at the start of the season when we built a squad, we're we're going to struggle to win this league with this team. Um, it, it's it just blows my mind actually that he's still still there. To be perfectly honest, but um, yeah, I'm biting my tongue about him, so I'll crack on. <laughs>
0: Dave, I've got two points that uh, involve Joe here, um, and I don't know if you're the best guy you're coming <laughs> with. Uh,
1: no, I think, right. I, think,
0: I think they're relevant. And then the final point will obviously be around the injuries, which the the four of us can discuss. Um, so, the first point I'll make is Ross Wilson appointed Giovanni Van Bronckhorst. Okay. Um, I don't think there's any debate about that at all. Uh, I, he likes
1: to talk up the successes or the perceived successes. When we sign a player or when we sign somebody, Ross Wilson's fingers are all in it. Look at uh, our friend Zukowski, who made the papers again yesterday in a negative Rangers story, and how warmly received he was by Ross Wilson, who was very quick to point out just how good a player Zukowski was and how proud he was to have scouted him. There's uh, no place for the new team in Poland over there, by the way. He's basically fucking retired. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh,
0: Magic uh, Zakowski, uh, by the way, his crime, if you're not actually up to date with um, your tabloids, uh, his crime was he went to the Vatican. Uh, and that was reported by the, the Red Tops. That's terrible,
1: mm-hmm. isn't right? it? Terrible. Uh, I mean, if I went to Rome, i To Vatican without a moment's hesitation, so I don't know what they were getting at there, but there you go. No, we all know
0: what we're getting, it comes back to narrative, doesn't it? Ah, Exactly. Anyway, anyway, uh, Ross that's w- outrageous.
3: I didn't know that. That's outrageous. What?
0: Yeah, exactly. So Ross Wilson appointed Giovanni Van Bronckhorst. Okay, um, prior to Giovanni Van Bronckhorst being needed by Rangers, Rangers had Steven Gerrard, Michael Beale, Gary McAllister, Tom Kilshaw, etc., etc. And then Steven Gerrard very quickly left. Uh, he he was out the door uh, in, a, in a matter of days, uh, which is his prerogative. Before uh, Gerrard left. We do not know us, so this is you know speculation or interpretation, but I'm gonna put the point out here. Did Michael Beale ever come into the conversation to be the next Rangers manager? No, not publicly anyway. Would Michael Beale really have said no to Rangers if we asked him? I don't think he would have because
1: Considering Mike... he basically ran a fucking Rangers fan Instagram account for the minute he left, to the minute he came back, I'd be very surprised if he said no at the time. And the fact that he knocked back Premier League football management Whilst
0: at QPR, but he couldn't say no to Rangers,
1: with no guarantee of getting your job.
0: No, no, but that's what I mean, Dave. That's what I mean. I don't think he, I don't think he knocked back the Wolves job because he was waiting for the Rangers job. My point here is he was able to resist the temptation of Premier League management, so exactly not be able to resist the the lure of Premier League coaching rather than being the Rangers manager. You know what I mean? He couldn't say no to Rangers, but he could say no to Wolves. So you try to tell me if you put that to him. Michael, be our manager, don't go to Aston Villa. He's going to turn on and go, no, I'm going to Aston Villa. He was able to say no to Wills. He wasn't able to say no to Rangers. So the parallels are there. So we appointed Gio and let Bill go. It looks without a fight. We then had to sack Gio and his backroom staff. We get three million quid from Aston Villa for Steven Gerrard. That three million quid has now been wiped out by sacking Gio and reappointing Bill. The sacking of Gio and his team... Will cost us circa maybe two million, and a point in bill cost us one point five. So we've actually lost half a million quid of our com- of the compensation money. We lost a lot, and on top of that, an extra five hundred thousand pound, half a million quid. We've had to shell out on top of the three million pound that we lost from the compensation from Aston Villa. So he was asked that question directly at Michael Beale's press conference on unveiling, and he dived it. He did, He completely swerved it, didn't answer it, and to this day, it's really pissed me off because he knows he fucked up there and he deserves to get... We deserve to hear his explanation as to why the most obvious candidate for the Rangers job was let to leave and its cost us £3.5 million, all told, just to get him back in the door when you include Gilles' compensation and compensation to QPR. On top of that, on top of that, um, you've got... How was Gio backed? So, I don't think he was backed. Now, listen, Gio had many, many faults. I can't accept that, but I can't accept that everything was Gio's fault. I really can't. Now, this goes back to this age-old argument that people, I know anno- annoys a few people, but it's, it's, it's there. If a Dutch football manager takes over any team, whether they're in Holland or on the continent, that Dutch football manager will bring in his own players of a Dutch heritage. Now, what I mean by that is they'll either be Dutch themselves or they're from the Dutch league. Now, you look in every... Se- you, you cannot give me one example of a Dutch manager who went to a football team and didn't bring any Dutch players. I, ca- I, I genuinely can't think of any. I look at Eric Ten Hag. He's bolt- he's rebuilding Manchester United on the back of Dutch-based players. Uh, Dick Advocat when he was here, uh, Ronald Koeman, every every job he's had, I think he's brought a Dutch player to. Um, you look at Cruyff with, with, with Barcelona, now I know these are quite big examples, but the, 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 the fact remains, Gus Hiddink as well, um, there's always Dutch players that follow Dutch managers. Now, we were linked with Xavi Simons, Joey Veerman, and Doheke, the defender. Siemens obviously went to PSV, Veerman went to PSV, and Doheke went to Union Berlin on a Bosman. Now, I know that they three are quite ambitious targets, I get that, but to me, the fact that we were linked with them, in my opinion, in my interpretation, Geo clearly fancied them. Simmons wouldn't have cost us a fee, but it would have been high wages. Doheke wouldn't have cost us a fee, but it would have been high wages. Veerman would have cost us a pretty penny and high wages. But instead of getting any of those three, Dave, Geo was shafted with Robbie Matondo for three million pounds on a reported 25000 pounds a week contract. So it's it's laughable. It is honestly laughable. And my final point here, Dave, because I know that I'm kind of long-winding this and you're probably forgetting what I'm saying, but I'll recap it. Uh, Scotland beat Scotland beat Spain last night, a very good performance, a very good result, obviously. Um and four players featured in that match, uh Lois Ferguson, Aaron Hickey, Ryan Portis, and London Dykes. All in our shores when Ross Wilson was here as our director of football and he wasn't interested in any of them. He would rather go to Belgium for his players. And then you fling into the bargain there, Josh Doig, um, who also left our shores to go uh, play in Italy. That's five Scottish players, Lewis Ferguson, Josh Doig, Aaron Hickey, Ryan Portis and London Dykes. Now, I'm not going to say those five would have made us winners. Rangers are built on a team. Uh, Sorry, Rangers are built on the success of Scottish players. You look at every successful Rangers team, there's one, two, maybe even three Scottish players that have actually played in the league that we've brought in. And that's just who we are as a club. And we've gone away from that identity. Um, As I say, I'm not saying we should have signed all five of them. We didn't even look at one of them. And if we signed... Lewis Ferguson, Josh Doig, Aaron Hickey, Ryan Portis, London Dykes, At the time when they played in Scotland, do you know what? We've spent less than Red Vanuimas and Robbie Matondo. We actually, we actually saved some money. So, what is it, What is his approach here, Dave? Is it too autocratic? Is he starting to loosen the grip now that Michael Beal's back? Was Gio shafted, and
1: why did Beal not get the job in the first place? Right, there's, there's a couple of quite a lot in there eh, to tempi- unpack, and I agree we. We have written. You've said we don't need to retread most of that because I've been pretty vocal about most of that myself on uh, various pods. Where it, it, the geo point for me, the the real problem lies or lay was when we lost Gerard. That coaching staff, Bill at the heart of it, had given us the probably one of the clearest playing identities we'd ever had. So Warburton had a very clear philosophy, albeit it's very glaring weaknesses. Dick Advocat played a particular style but I think in terms of playing identity that was successful in winning matches 55 stands up as one of if not the best in terms of how we played the fluidity, the understanding the roles, we all loved it should have probably been more successful than it was, so with a very clear style 4-3-3, ball retention reasonably successful against a low block high press and high intensity led the to a good unbeaten run against Celtic so we had the building blocks of future success and to me not having a dossier of managers. I know when, when you're calling for a manager's head, if this is, well, who would you bring in? Sorry, I don't have paid to get paid 400 grand to compiled dossiers, right? I just go be what I think. I thought a Dutch guy coming in would play 4 3, 3 and would fit the style. That couldn't have been further from the truth. And I'll no retread the Geo points because they've been on here plenty. Geo's methodology was at pretty much direct odds with the philosophy that Bill and Gerald had instilled. The biggest failing in the whole debacle, apart from not Keaton Bill is finding a guy who had to rip up the blueprint to get his own ideas across. We should have had in the desk drawer long before Gerard left, a list of potential successors that was drawn up in conjunction with Gerard, who could take his work and build on it. We basically had to go back to first principles and start the whole thing from scratch, and that's what cost us the points in that early period under Geo. Try to reboot. We got a bit of initial success, new manager bouncing that, but then we had to reboot we were trying four two fours, four five ones, the horseshoe, and none of it really worked domestically. So Ross Wilson's big feeling there was feeling to identify a manager who had similar principles, and yet he made an enormous song and dance. We were all dead excited about you coming, right? I was as well, and I mean, I was even fucking gone down i don't stay too far looking around ibrox to see if he was getting announced or if there was any cars there during the night right we were all buzzing for it and he made a great song and dance about the perfect successor and he wasn't he. so it's just a complete fucking fail and it lends into my point and i think this is pretty much where kenny's at on this as well is the guy's a fraud an abject fraud that might be a bit you might want to to that right <laughs> uh, in, in my view the guy is is operating at a level a bit like a first minister well outside his competence and qualifications and he's literally winging it and talks a great game so i've had the perfect success and it's the same philosophy it couldn't be full of the fucking truth and then say
3: something there, very quickly about yes. what you said there right ross wilson said specifically that he had done his homework on geo yes, and exactly. nothing would change that the the style of football wouldn't change and you could, set, you could tell within a fortnight that well nothing like what it was under under Gerard and first game first
1: game uh-huh.
3: start a uh, uh-huh. you can um, see what's
1: going on here we were so accustomed to seeing it because it was so easy on the eye the Gerard style when it was working you knew where it would be you knew two moves ahead I
3: just I, honestly I just want them gone I, I, and I that,
1: that point I've just made there I, I completely I'm on board with that Kenny. at that point there leads straight into his transfer strategy where he's, oh, we're signing Zukowski, he's great, he's the future of the football club with new Tavs, new, sorry, new Patterson's gone, and he's new ta- now the guy's cutting about mid-season on holiday, right? Great. We made the big song and dance about people at like James Sands and he's full of warm praise for them and then all these guys, almost all of his 28 signings have been shuffled out the back door, despite him warmly welcoming them, talking up their own his own scoutability and what they're going to bring to the club. The guy he havers and talks there is no evidence whatsoever at any of his clubs that he's been a success and the big gold stamp on that is your transfer deals at the start of the season. Go back to the first pod we did the season preview and I said unless we sign players post-PSV this season's look like it might not be great. And obviously don't have to be too negative in fucking a 20 point gap and all that, right? But it, you knew with that when we didn't get any signings so so scattergun, so random, apparently we go to these sort of transfer forums where free agents and whatnot and players that clubs aren't ready are touted around and that's his main way of doing business and I can well believe that because until Raskin and Cantwell, even them, they were probably on the way out of their current clubs, in fact Raskin definitely was, Cantwell probably as well, we're shopping in a, 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 a bin in the shop, I don't believe we're shopping in Poundland because we're spending money, we spent money on, two I mentioned, we spent money in Yilmaz, Apparently we're fucking throwing money at Rabbi Matondo. So I don't believe that we're shopping in the, the in Poundland. We're shopping in the out of date yellow sticker, of Asda. We could just go into a different aisle and buy proper shit because we can't fucking get a transfer strategy right under this guy. It, 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 it is borderline for me. If it's no negligence, it is certainly somebody who's operating out with their competence.
0: Dave, I love, sorry, Kenny, just very quickly. I I'll love. The fact that Ross Wilson gets you so angry, you go straight <laughs> to supermarket analogies because... again. I don't, I don't know how else to. Just a couple I... of weeks ago, he it was in it was direct shopping trolleys, and now he's just shopping in the I just... yellow. I... <laughs> I don't
1: know how else to. Disc... I'm trying to make it something that everybody can identify with because it's literally yellow stickers. Jirino Bacuña has got a big yellow sticker on him because he's gone out of date, and we snap him up. Red Van Yilmaz looks like he might come good, was a risk. Sakala it sort of came sometimes maybe good something but but you could do so right but these guys have to come in and hit the ground running and been an immediate rangers first team impact players they're damaged goods we're shopping and the broken stuff bit of the shop we're not buying bit. the premium products and we'd be better with fewer but better yeah. round the numbers and for me it just—it's a guy who does not have a clue what he's doing and is absolutely in no way competent to do his job. Our most recent directors of football, Mark Allen, and then probably before him, if he, Frank McPalland was a disaster. Warburton have done markedly better jobs with probably less resources in both cases.
3: Miles better, yeah. And listen, the, the simple fact that just very quickly, Chris. I wanted to say this before you crack on. This The simple fact... I said a few weeks ago on here that our player trading model doesn't work. I said that any club our size should be able to, you know, uh, spend £20 million pound every every summer, right? But the only way you can do that is if you get your player trading model right. Mm-hmm. Because we can't go spend £20 million net every summer, but we should be absolutely capable... Of selling players on for ten million pound, fifteen million pound every single summer because we are a big club with decent players and this guy can't do it. He's managed to do uh, Calvin Bassey, I've already said I'll give him no credit for that. It was nothing to do with him. Uh, Nathan Patterson. It's absolutely nothing to do with him. He came through our system. He, he was there before. He he's been there. With, he was there when he was seven years of age. Uh, and Joe Aribo. I'll give him a little bit of credit for that, but. Not
0: a lot, because he only got 6 million quid for him. Hold on, Kenny. I'd have to say I take exception to that Joe Rebo one, because exactly to your point there, he was undersold. Um, That's what I'm saying. Because we put so much emphasis on a, on a, 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 a sell-on fee percentage that, that obviously if Joe Rebo moves on to something bigger, it looks like Joe Was
1: Joe Rebo brought in under Mark Allen? Or that, under... Was
0: my next, that was my next point. Mark Allen signed Joe Rebo, um yeah. So it's I I mean, and again,
1: it was
3: that's a Michael Beale signing. Apparently, as far as I'm aware, it was Michael Beale that knew of him because of the uh, the, the the soccer academy he was out down in London. Um, so it was Michael Beale that actually um, had given Gerard the heads up on him, believe it or not, as far as I'm aware. Um, but the, the simple fact is, this guy has. Got to get a player trading model in place. He's been there for what, three years, four years, three years, is it? And we don't have anything
1: like a player
3: trading model.
1: So, CE round, it, I, I completely agree, right? The player trading model is, he gets no credit for any of them for me. Bas young English guys with high potential, Beals fingerprints so are it. But the, the counter argument to this, a lot of this, is well, if guys like Kent and Manilis won't re sign, can he make them? Okay. If nobody bids for them, he can he sell them. Well, that tells a number of things, so and neither it's good for him. What's it? One, there's two ways to look at that. One, what's the point in him if he's he's obviously overvaluing these players? If nobody's coming in, you can tell me that there is no interest whatsoever in two guys who reached the European final, top scorer, a high level assister. It showed up well in every game. You cannot tell me that no club is interested in them. Something like Tottenham would probably have took them for nothing if they were on the market. So there's that, and then he's unable to negotiate with them to, to, to resign. Both of those arguments cancel each other out and the only conclusion is that there's no point in that role then. If you can't drum up interest and you can't negotiate a new deal then you're completely and utterly pointless and both of those point to a complete failure as you say Kenny to implement a quote unquote player trading model. You can't just sell the best player, sell the, the family heirlooms and expect to keep going. It's so short sighted. It's like me selling my PS5 to pay the gas bill. I don't have then have no any other collateral or assets and that seems to be all that he's capable of doing. They kept yeah, that it's... out of the supermarket there for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's yeah, I I I
0: I g I totally I totally agree with all that to be honest. Um one of my biggest bugbears is when people hit back, you can not sell a player if no one's willing to buy. Uh totally negating the fact that Ross Wilson's job involves him generating interest and in negotiating player transfers. Um, I, when people say when people say that you can't sell a player if no one's interested in them, that that's actually them agreeing with me uh, as far as I'm concerned because it's Ross Wilson not doing his job right. Um and... Every
1: footballer has a value in the world, right? Whether it's some are completely worthless, but very very few. We could probably sell Hollander for some sort of fee. See if we said to mom, well, fifty grand, he's nearly fit. There's a fee there, right? It's still a fee. Junior teams trade money, you can't tell me that there was not one iota of interest and two of our best players in three, was it three or four solid seasons in Europe that culminated the final, not one club in Europe looked at them and went, maybe take a punt on him for eight or nine million, refused to believe it. So then in that case, if that's true, he's overvalued them and assumed, as it would appear incorrectly, that we would take the severe nip if we were to sell these guys for less money we will sell them for that as long as there's somebody who comes in as you said when he said has a equal or superior ability we need to learn to be fine with it so that's another wee bit of pr feeling there it, it it has to happen sooner or later and it hasn't on his watch and there's nothing that suggests to me that it's going to turn around
0: andrew uh final comment on ross wilson uh transfers if you will before we move on to the the final point uh, on injuries the the rangers board or, or should i say the rangers investors douglas Park, john bennett uh, stuart gibson they're all even dave king to a certain extent they're all very in awe of ross wilson i think that's probably the right term they talk him up they say he's done a fantastic job um the the they, they just will not criticise anything to do with a the guy. They they will only praise him because they, they can see no wrong. So Andrew, in your opinion, is Ross Wilson living off the sale of Bassey, Aribo and Patterson And is he bulletproof because he's generated well, because he's brought in technically so much money? I get the point Kenny and Dave are saying there. That he's get He he's not going to to be given the credit for them. But at the end of the day, he still negotiated those transfers and brought the money in. And is that why the Rangers board are so... Yeah, he's doing a brilliant job. We don't need to replace him. Or is it just stubbornness at this point? They just don't want to listen to the fans because they'll see it as a climb down?
2: From my perspective, I think that, of course, he will be rated because of the transfer dealings in terms of that money that's come in. Because our managing director is an accountant and looks at the money coming in and goes, that's great. The problem is that Ross Wilson's job isn't just to generate money. It's um, he's, he's not, he's not in that business. His job is to not only sell players, but he's got to bring in players as well. How many first team starters have we had come in under Ross Wilson? Two, maybe. Um, if we look at Campbell and Raskin um, under Wilson, I mean, who else have we had? Who's come in? Who's been an immediate first team starter? Like, and I'm not talking about someone like Lundstrom who played his way into the team. And now at this point, it looks like he's playing his way back out of it. We, we have signed so many projects and that works absolutely fine. When you have not only a strong squad, but a strong bench, then you've got the ability to bleed in these players The problem is that we don't appear to have that strategy in place. Instead, we have a situation where we're having to try and throw in untested youngsters or projects, hoping that they will come good. It's only been with Campbell and Raskin that we've signed two players who have both hit the ground running and i have gone, yeah, that's looking great. And you could maybe make the argument that if that's the first time that's happened in however long Ross Wilson's been with the club now, Is that just a coincidence that it happened after Michael Beale came in or not? So from my perspective, I think that there's there's a case to be made that, of course, the directors of a football club are not going to come out and criticise one of their current employees. But there are ways to insinuate and make it clear what their remit should be. And you can allude to the fact that we haven't had a particularly successful um, squad building approach that we, under under Ross Wilson because we haven't. You can allude to that. I don't think you're ever going to get you know anyone who's at board level or otherwise coming out from the club and saying that Ross Wilson's fucking shit, isn't he? It? It's unlikely, right? Um, I, I don't think um, anyone who's who's ever worked for a boss would be particularly happy to hear that their boss was slagging them in public, even if they were quite shit behind the scenes. But you would like to think that in the cold light of day. You'd be looking at the success that the mob other side of the city are having and going, look, part of the remit here is to ensure that we continue to maintain the success and the standards that this club are built on, which are winning shiny silver things and then waving them at the fans at the end of the season. Under this director of football and under this managing director, we have not done that nearly enough under their tenure. And that's that's a failing on them. So something's got to change. Uh, at the moment I don't have faith in these two to be able to turn it around based on their their, <laughs> their tenure thus far in those jobs. Um, it's dispiriting to look at it. The good thing from my perspective is that these are positions that other people are eager to fill. I think any eager managing director or director of football would look at a club like Rangers and go that is a good market to get myself into. So All we've got to hope for is that people who are responsible for hiring them are competent and good. So we'll see how that works out. Yeah.
0: Final point. Uh, Ross Wilson has overseen the worst injury crisis in our history. Um, And this could be due to the revamp of the medical department where he either let go or moved certain personnel, didn't replace certain personnel, i.e. Dr. Mark Waller. Uh, to a suitable standard and he also brought in a medical AI company called Zone 7 their clients include Liverpool, Real Salt Lake and Hull City those three clubs have basically said that they're experiencing their worst injury crisis ever similar to Rangers this is then coupled or impacted by the fact that Ross Wilson has signed players like John Sutter Kemal Roof Aaron Ramsey you look at the players that he brought in this season alone, Tom Lawrence, Red Van Antonio Cholak, Ben Davis. Tom Lawrence was never injured prior to Rangers. Red Van has stated that this is his first major injury in professional football. Cholak, I don't know about, so I'll leave him out. Ben Davis, he hadn't even kicked a ball in almost a year, not because he was injured. Because obviously he couldn't get himself into the Liverpool first team, so there's no way he was unfit. So he's brought in three very injury prone players, Sutter, Ruth, and Ramsey. And he's brought in, let's just say, three guys with a mo- almost impeccable injury history Tom Lawrence, Red Van Yomas, and Ben Davis. But the minute they put the blue on, they break down, and not just for a wee while, for quite some time. Tom Lawrence, you're looking at nine months now, Red Van Yomas was three months. It took Ben Davis three months to finally settle into Rangers and play regular first-team football because he was carrying Knox left, right and centre. <clears throat> so, what is going wrong here? What is the issue? Is it just bad luck or is this poor management? Medical AI, for what I understand, is it's effectively something a, a prediction computer. It will predict how players will succumb to injury. It will predict what is needed in terms of recovery time. It will predict how a player should recover from their injury in terms of their rehab, rehabilitation, rest, uh, kind of surgery needed maybe, um, or physiotherapy needed, all this kind of stuff. Now the, the the idea behind it is if you can predict these things, it cuts out a lot of meaningless fees being paid to consultants and scans and X-rays and all this kind of stuff. So I get the point. I get the world's moving more to AI, but we've taken an unnecessary risk here by going to this AI model when quite clearly we don't have the personnel within the building who know or trained to a level that are going to use it properly. I do still believe that medical AI probably does have a place in modern football but the people who are using it need to be fully trained in it, they need to be fully in, uh, on board with what it does and they need to know the system inside out. Now clearly we do not have that at uh, the um, the Rangers training centre at the moment. I, I think that's a matter of public record. We reduced the staff. We moved good members of staff to the B team. We lost some members of staff, like Doctor Mark Wall, a very uh, reputable reputable man within football, uh, the the football medical industry, if you want to call it that. Um, and w- we seem to have replaced him. I think we did finally replace him. I don't know the guy's name, but obviously to replace a guy like Mark Waller and get an improvement or similar quality, you you would have to say uh, you'd have to spend a pretty penny. Looks like we've cut corners there. So is there something in this,
1: Dave, I'll come to you first, or is it just plainly bad luck? I I find it hard now to accept the bad luck point. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll have seen a bit of a laughing and joking recently about a uh, a curse that was apparently placed on us. I'm only semi serious about that. I start to wonder, right, but at some point it's got to go beyond bad luck, because it is, to some extent, a controllable variable. players get injured, I've been injured, we have all hurt ourselves, it happens, right? But at what point, at what number of missed matches, or at what percentage of the wage bill being off the park, or at what point do you go, right, this is more than just plain bad luck, because it can always be, especially when the injuries are falling into the type that they are, which is soft tissue, strain injuries, obviously, had you it happens, but pure bad luck. Maybe he took a slightly bad decision in the park against an amateur player who didn't move in the correct way. Whatever, you could maybe look at it like that, right? But apart from that, Roof is basically just broken. We've never managed to him. Helander slipped and fell and's been out now for eighteen months ish, missing, missing pretty much his entire second season. lauren suit for a season. Back in the day, it was comedy of one, maybe two. Ninety four, we had a really bad, a bad run. And we've generally always had one or two guys sidelined for significant periods but this is unlike anything we've ever known it does not it ceases to be luck for me when it's so much so often and for so long and of a type that really should be preventable hamstrings soft tissue non-impact injuries it's no bad luck it's something fundamentally wrong with the medical department of the club and as much as i like to pretend i'm a specialist in everything i'm not when it comes to to medical matters of that nature but you have to say if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck then it is. there there must be something wrong with the medical staff with what's going on with treatment with rehab to keep so many players out for so long and we went into a european final last year with a fit striker we've gone into big games this season with a bench that would probably not look at a place at hearts level and that's why we've dropped points So for me, it's not luck, it's under the remit of the director of football and it's one thing that if Ross Wilson does move on, it'll be revamped pretty much overnight, I would think. Kenny?
3: Yeah, pretty much agree with both of you there. Um, The only thing I would add to it is, uh, I I do have a funny feeling, if you actually look uh, at this, it's kind of corrected itself since Michael Beal's come in. That might be coincidence or fortune or whatever, but I do think that our pre-season, going by the rumours, wasn't particularly clever in terms of getting these players um, up to up to standard, if you want to call it that. That um, they're, you know, physically they're going to require for a season in Scottish football. Um, <clears throat> but the, the the simple fact is that the buck stops with. Uh, Ross Wilson, and again, yet again, what I will say, just to deviate very, very slightly and very quickly, I, I actually watched the uh, Chelsea uh, Borussia Dortmund game the other week in the Champions League, and out pops the director of football half an hour before kickoff to give a, a, an incredibly eloquent uh, speech in English about the injury situation that Dortmund have and the the and. We just never see this guy. <laughs> we just <laughs> never hear or see of him at all. We just all we ever keep getting told is from his peers, if you like, is how wonderful he is. Um, and the the injury crisis we have suffered this season. um I don't know. I can. I, I, you know, I'm 52, I, and I can remember a couple of and you know horrendous injury hit seasons over the years, but nothing like this. And that is. Solely down to this uh, AI company that they've brought in That I'm not even going to give them their name I just think it's an absolute shambles It's uh, Again, it comes across to me And I don't want to be personal It comes across to me as Ross Wilson Thinking he is slightly cleverer than he actually is If you know what I mean by that This guy, I've said it before And I'm going to say it again to kind of sign off on it tonight He's an imposter Honestly, um, I actually think you could get anybody um qualified for that job, anybody that would do a better job than he would. I actually think our uh, signing policy, uh the injury uh, or the signing of in- injury prone players, the injuries that those players get when you know, not you know, p- players that aren't injury prone get when they come here. Um He's in charge of the football department. The buck stops with this guy and he's incompetent. That's the bottom line. Uh, And to be honest, I I can't really think of what else to say uh, without losing my shit about him. So I'm just going to (laughs) calm down. And it it just it riles me to a point where um, I actually thought of something about 10 minutes ago when one of you guys were talking about him there. And I think the perfect way I could describe this is Walter would have chased this guy. That's what I would say. Walter Smith would have chased him out the door. Out you pop, don't come back.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, before I let Andrew kind of take this episode home, uh, I'll ask he's Hopefully, one of these will give me the answer I'm looking for here. But who would you say in terms of recruitment, player development, selling them on, making a profit, replacing them, developing them, selling them on, making a profit, replacing them. And the 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 model continues. Who do you say is one of the best clubs at that in the UK?
1: Southampton. No. It was Southampton Where? Yeah. Until until you know who I see. if you, this is that, <gasps> still that Oh league. it's like isn't I made a
2: point there or something, isn't it? Yes.
1: Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, I I had to bring this up because people go, Ah, oh, but he sold Van Dyke. Yes, he did Van Dyke sold. And if you look at the, the league positions and the rest of it since with the Wilson tenure, Southampton went from an upwardly mobile top 10 club. They fight and relegation and have never recovered. But
0: The point I'm trying to make here is, currently, today, who obviously they're an English team, who who, who would you say is, is the the flag bearer, the standard, the the ones that teams will now look to to try and repl, replicate that model? Is the answer no as obvious as I thought it was?
1: D- there are a number who get it right in various ways. Well, South- I'm, I'm talking about Brighton. Aye. But I, clubs of that because the reason they get that right and against Southampton prior to Wilson is the clubs like that even us, dem, us domestically new and in Europe we need a, a guy at the helm. We need a strategy. Well, that's, my, that's, my, by point. that's my point. That's who's, who's
0: the director of football, at Brighton? David Beer. Yeah, exactly. So you
1: need you need the guy in that role to be a force multiplier. We've got the opposite. We've got a force divider. We take the money we spend and get it to underperform. You need somebody i actually thought you were going a different direction and ask for running the club the individual i suppose you were i thought mark warburton would be great at that job freed from coaching defenders well the thing is they i mean we know that this board don't hold grudges so i mean warburton are weird, <laughs> or do so, I mean, or, like... or things for personal reasons i, I suppose um, um sorry Dave. I, uh, just because you need a force multiplier, a guy who's going to take a limited budget and make it more than the sum of its parts. We've got the opposite. We've got a guy who makes your budget worth less. Every penny we spend, and there must be a way to look at, this, to look at it. Every penny we spend under Wilson returns 0.8. Every penny Celtic spends returns 1.2. Over a long enough period of time, that is going. To, I mean, those figures are my estimates, right? Maybe it's not as far as that. Over a couple of seasons, that is going to leave us in the dust. Because we're getting less back than we spent in every respect, we're getting less back than we spend in terms of the medical staff. We're getting less back than we spend in wages and players and transfer fees. Everything we spent is part of it's wasted, whereas the Celtics and the Brightons of the world recoup. They're outlaying more, mm. and I just can't understand for the life of me. That's my final point. In the whole thing: why more fans? It seems to be now. Are they waking up to this and going? These, this guy in particular, and these two that we've discussed tonight. Actively dragging this club further and further back to the point where I've I recently. I couldn't say with my hand in my heart that I'll see another title under this mob, and how long they stay, I, I don't know. I just can't see us getting out of this trap with them at the helm. And it's only going to be when that does come to pass. And but we've not said that in the pod, like I we'll think about it, the most successful tag goes, and when we're left behind in titles, it's only then fans will wake up. The The other positive. As Andrew said Ill, is Andrew Sheddler is it's still ill enough to do something about it? It's not going to be in two or three years' time if we keep going the way we're going. Yeah, Andrew, um, back to the medical. <laughs> uh,
0: take us home. Um, give us your opinion on it, and uh, obviously we'll wrap this up.
2: Well, yeah, we've only gone on for an hour and a half, so you know we, we've not really got to the heart of the matter, to be honest. Um, look, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, we could go for four hours tonight talking about the various issues we have with these guys, but we are where we are. I think. From my perspective, I completely agree with what all you boys have said. Um, You know, the issues in terms of restaffing the medical department. Um, Kenny touched on a point I wanted to make, which was that apparently our preseason on the Geo wasn't anything to write home about either. And I think the combination of those two factors this season has made a, a bit of a perfect storm. Because on one hand, you've got a manager who's telling players to just focus on their tactical training and not work on any fitness stuff. And on the other hand, you've got a medical system which was successful for us in the early days. You know, the first season that we had it, we won the we won the league title. So it's not been a complete disaster. But those two things in combination, um, along with a strategy from our director of football of signing players who have a history of injuries, um, all that combined together to, to give us the situation we find ourselves in now. So we we don't need to go over everything in detail. I think we've made it clear that none of us, I think, would be wanting uh, either of these two individuals to stay at the club any longer. Like I say, I'm not uh, quite as cynical and depressed about the situation as Dave is. Um, You know, I think because this is a one-horse, or sorry, this is currently a one-horse race, but it it should be a two-horse race for this league. And we only have one other team to beat. Michael Beal has proved in this short time that he's been here that he has got some of the tactical nuance, I think, to be able to do this, if he is backed, and let's hark all the way back to the very first pod that we released on this network when we still thought we were having Giovanni Van Bronckhorst for the rest of the season. If Michael Beale is backed correctly, gets the players he wants, then sky's the limit, right? Because, at least domestically, fuck knows what happens European football-wise. But we we have some of the tools at our disposal, possibly more by luck than judgment. But we, we do have the ability to write the course of this ship. But the problem is that at the moment two of the captains are either drunk or, you know, think that the boat is uh, some kind of aerial device instead. They have no, no conception of what it actually is. So I, I have faith that things can be turned around. But again, I don't think it happens with these two individuals staying at the club. Okay, um,
0: yeah, it's. I think it's a unanimous vote. We hereby find Ross Wilson and, <laughs> and of crimes against Rangers.
3: Uh, send them down.
0: Uh, <laughs> um, well, it's going to be. I feel as if I say this a lot as well, at the end of pods, it's going to be an interesting few weeks to see what happens and then nothing happens. And then we keep scratching our head as to why we don't win trophies and we keep trying to find answers and analysing things and, and we keep arguing with each other. I don't mean just us four, I mean the wider fan base, when sometimes the answer's still you right in the face and I genuinely believe that the answer is staring us right in the face. We, Um, I could probably, probably love with Robertson surviving to fight another day, but Wilson, it just simply has to go. He just simply has to go. Um, It's, look, there's no guarantee in football we could replace Wilson in the summer and and, and, and end up somehow being worse. Of course, that could happen. But uh, the fear of what could happen shouldn't hold us back from the prospect of progression. And Rangers have always been a progressive club when it comes to winning trophies. We're always looking to getting our next marginal gain, our next advantage, and right now we're not. We seem to be happy with a lot, and that is very, very worrying. And this is a big month for Rangers. Two games against Celtic, potentially three, depending on the split, but certainly two. One at Parkhead and one in the semi-final, and my God, if those games don't go the way that we hope they go, then this could get very, very nasty indeed. But, the fear for me, I don't know about you guys, the fear for me is if it goes the way we hope it goes, then that might actually um, keep Wilson on a job even longer, because regardless of the outcome of these two games in April, he simply has to go, and that's that's even if we have two positive results against them, he simply has to go. It shouldn't matter what happens, um, either positively or negatively, but we shall see, and um, so I have to thank uh, the listener first because this has been quite a long podcast. Um, It always was going to be long. It has went on a wee bit longer than I I probably thought, but it's a very emotive subject that we felt um, had to be discussed. Uh, So thank you to you. um, And if you follow us, uh, like us or subscribe to us on any of our social media platforms, we're on everything, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. uh, We're on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube. Amazon eh, not Apple music, Apple Podcasts, Amazon music we're on we're on everything. You if there's a social media platform we will probably have a presence there somewhere. When Andrew's saying his bye byes he will come on with the email address also. So all it's left for me to do is thank you guys. Kenny, thanks very much, as always, mate.
3: Oh good. Thanks, Chris. Enjoyed that. Well no. enjoyed it up to a point. But <laughs> I <laughs> want them both gone, mate. Uh yeah. the the job for the two of them is to win Rangers League t- league titles, cups. That's what their job is. They're not they're not succeeding at the minute. I want them out. But cheers, mate. Thanks. No worries, mate. Uh Dave?
1: Yeah, thanks, mate. I did quite enjoy that. I feel like it's again cathartic.
2: And finally, Producer Andrew. Andrew, thank you very much. Of course, uh the email address is contact at satellite at uk. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Yeah. And um, we will be back
0: this week as well. Uh with our normal uh podcast just fucking won as we are playing dundee united on the 1st of april it's saturday three which so happens to be my birthday as well so yeah i look forward to that um and you will hear that as i say at some point before friday so join us then for that as well so thank you very much